Well, today we continue on with our series, What You Thought You Knew, Meet the Wise Men. We've met uh, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, we've met the angels, we've met the shepherds, and today we're going to unpack who the wise men were and how that impacts our lives today. And so we're really excited to do that, and then tonight we'll be meeting Jesus God with us, Emmanuel. So I hope you'll be back at 4.30 for that time. Now, for many of us, you know, as we start to think about this and we continue to digest what all this means, we're singing Christmas carols, there are pieces that uh, aren't totally connected with Scripture. And uh, this week, I uh, was very disturbed that I needed to correct a wrong that's been happening in our house for 30 years, 35 years, and I blame my mother, and my father went along with it. What is this wrong, you may ask, very, very painful? It's dealing with the wise men in the Christmas story, because on the night Jesus was born, there were no wise men there. Not one was there. Not the fourth one, not the third one, not the second one, not the one. There were no wise men there. And when Cindy and I got married in August of 1988, I can still remember when it came close to Christmas, instead of giving us money, which I really wanted, my mother bought us a nativity scene. An expensive nativity scene, she said, and we needed to watch out and take care of it. And this is the nativity scene, and as you notice, I've corrected that wrong. There are no wise men there, because the wise men were at least 800 miles away on the night Jesus was born. So I have put the wise men over on the other side of the room, took Cindy a few days to realize that that's where they were, what was going on? You notice no wise men here. They're way back there. I've done the calculations. If they move an inch a day, it should be here by June. So we're going to leave this up, same way at my house. So here's my room. There they are. Nativity scene over there. And wise men, they've got to do some scaling to get there. So correcting this wrong and what we're supposed to do about it, theologically, it is incorrect. You get it, though. So don't go crazy. Don't go around. Well, actually, I have gone a little crazy. If you hear any police scanners and there's somebody says somebody's in my yard stealing shepherds or stealing uh, wise men from my yard, I've got plenty of them in my uh, garage because I've been collecting them because they shouldn't be there yet. But I will put them back in June. But seriously. So what's the story? What's really happening? We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. That's page 657 in the Little Rack Bible. If you happen not to have a paper copy of God's Word, please feel free to take that Rack Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. We think it's important that you have access to God's Word. It is God's Word, and it teaches us how to live. And some of you may be saying, what about those weird passages? Yeah, there are some weird passages in there. But you just worry about the passages you know about and what to do, and we'll deal with the weird ones another time. But there's plenty in there to follow and learn 
more about who God is, who Jesus is, and how to walk with him. So, and also, uh, Uversion, great uh, free app. You can download it on any of your electronic devices so you can have God's word with you wherever you go, wherever you have your electronic device. So, beginning in verse 1, we read, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, keyword after, that again, after he was born in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when you hear the word worship, it's worth is in there. How much worth is the person to you? When you worship God, you're showing how much worth he has in your life. The way you worship God is, yes, you can sing songs on a Sunday morning. You can listen to something. But it's really where you come to a crossroaded decision and there's a way that you know God wants you to go, and you know there's a way that you shouldn't go, and you show worship by, in that moment, choosing to do God's will. Be aligned with God, be loving, be kind, all of those kinds of things that go along with that. Singing on Sunday, fantastic. But if you sing on Sunday and don't worship by following God throughout the week, there's a gap there. So you see them worshiping, and it caused them to get up and go. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exactly the time the star had appeared. And again, they see the star, they get their things together, and they start traveling from modern-day Iraq. Persia. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw, see, house no longer stable. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. Immediately is the idea. Took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. 
where we stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave the orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. Under and in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. When you and I hear the stories of Christmas, when we start to digest it, we start off with some assumptions. And one of those assumptions is our Christmas carols pressurized the night of his birth. We think it was just a wonderful Uh, We talk about it being a quiet night, oh, holy night, silent night. It was not silent. Uh, How many of you have been at a birth of one of your children? Moms have been there. Some of us dads have been there. It was not a calm, silent night. Even after the epidural, it didn't get much easier, at least for me. I don't know, but uh, now I'm in trouble. It's a good thing Cindy's not in here. But it was not a silent, quiet night. When you think of some of the other songs and you realize all of these things going on, it was not that kind of a nice little world. Uh, You're going to see two Herods. There's the Herod when Jesus is born. Uh, i got to make sure I get this right. That's Herod Antipas. And then there's also later on, there's Herod the Great. And that's the one that's alive when Jesus is alive and the one that uh, actually beheads his cousin, John the Baptist. Uh, sorry, I'm, I get it mixed up. There's Herod Apis, who did the beheading, and Herod the Great when Jesus was born. See, I knew I was going to mess this up. And Herod the Great came into power by getting Rome to okay him, and uh, he did not, like, just assume power. He had to make it happen. This is the world that uh, Jesus was being born into. And Herod, what he did is, uh, as he was invading and taking over everything. There's this mountain ridge, and uh, we see this mountain ridge, and you can see, if you look really quickly, there's all these little caves, and to attack and approach was almost impossible. So Herod was having problems with this. So what did Herod do? Herod got to the top. He boiled up oil and poured it over there and burned all the soldiers in those caves alive. This is the kind of guy Herod was. When Herod later on is near death and he realizes that nobody likes him, no one's going to mourn when he dies, he actually gathers together some of the most wealthy, influential people in the area, about 40 of them, has them locked in a tower with the orders, on the day I die, kill all those people. So there'll be mourning at my death. Not for me, but for them, but at least they'll be weeping in Jerusalem. This was not a pleasant guy. He had uh, ten wives. Uh, he would, two of them he uh, had killed. First wife that we know of had sent away with three-year-old son when he discovered that he could marry this teenage girl and it would lock in more power for him. Um, he had three of his sons killed. One of the Caesars says it's better to be a pig in Herod's kingdom than one of his sons. He 
was horrendous. It was not a precious moment kind of time. As we've already talked about it, our nativity sets get it wrong. And that's not to, again, we just need to understand this. Um, just the same way, you know, when we talk about, uh, we'll see this in a second, the three. It's, it's because of the three gifts. Uh, you, you know, this there was probably more in this party that was traveling. We saw the maps and we saw how far they had to go. They weren't there anywhere from six months to nine months. And some people say almost up to two years was them getting there because the timing of Herod taking out all the boys that are two years and younger. He, I think he gave a couple extra months on one side, a couple extra months on the other side, and he wanted to be sure that this king uh, was taken out and uh, wasn't there. And something you need to realize, I may mention this again tonight, but uh, you know, sometimes in scholarly books, if you go to, you know, you have a professor and they're knocking faith and those kinds of things, they say there's, there's no record of all the baby boys being killed in Bethlehem by Herod. And the reality of it is it was probably about 20 to 30 boys. And uh, Herod was about doing so many dastardly, terrible things that this was not enough to put on the radar of his evilness. So people would just not even, oh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's like a day in the life of Herod doing something like this. So, so you can't uh, discount that because there's no, uh, you know, mark about it. Uh, the tradition, uh, again, we've talked about this of the three wise men, is a guess. And th that's okay, And uh, but it's a guess. It, it makes sense. But uh, some of these things, some of these legends, some of these, you need to know the stories. We need to know the stories well enough that we know where it kind of goes one way or the other. That's to be students of the word. We need to keep our minds engaged and uh, know the real true facts that, that fit with all of this story. Uh, when we hear about this idea of a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel, and this comes from Numbers. There's a few other passages we could look at, but this idea is where did these wise men get their information? Why were they students? And it's thought that uh, when Babylon came in and took you know, Daniel and his friends, and this represents hundreds of of, uh, you know, these teenage wise men kind of a thing. These, these people that were going to be in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, court, and there was lots more that were taken, but those individuals kept the scriptures alive, and so it was passed on, so there was still a remnant. Whether these were uh, God-fearing people all the way, whether what all that we don't really know but we do know that that is probably where they got the information and when they saw this star and they were studying it these weren't uh you know horoscope crazy people sometimes sorry if you're a horoscope person but uh, they weren't doing that kind of thing but they were really students they were scientists and when they saw this big change it's somewhat where it went off in their minds this is that king that we learned about in the scriptures of the hebrews and some may have been had that flavor, but some may not, and so that's what got them going. Some of the realities when we look at this, uh, we see that uh, the wise men, when they got to the house, got to his home, they bowed down, they worshipped him, they opened up their gifts, and just the idea of worship, they just show that this, this king is worthy of them traveling. You're going to see it's worthy of gifts, and so we have to ask ourselves when we think of the wise men, is the impact 
of the nativity, is the impact of Jesus being born, does that create in us a real sense of worship in awe? And that's not to make you feel bad, but it's to always remind ourselves, when do we, in a sense, take things for granted? We've heard these stories over and over again, and the wow is gone. We have to ask, sometimes I have to ask the Holy Spirit, if you've said yes to Christ, God joins your life through the person of the Holy Spirit, and I have to ask the Holy Spirit, renew in awe, re-break my heart for what Jesus did for me, what you did for me. Let it not be just a, oh, that's a nice story. I want to be engaged with it. Heart and mind, just not mind. Sometimes you see down front a a young lady who really enjoys the music. And a few, uh, now it's been a few months ago, I was speaking on something that uh, was harsh, a little bit like Herod and that kind of thing. And I watched and she got a little emotional and I I, I wondered if that was just too much for her to hear. And uh, afterwards I checked in and I found out that she was just thinking about Jesus coming and giving her his life for her and it just broke her heart. That's possible. That freshness, that simplicity. Don't become so cultured and, and intellectually aware of theological, scriptural things that it doesn't break your heart and you stronger. And it may take some time for it to break your heart. I remember when the Passion movie came out, and there's a lot of things in there that don't line up with scripture, but I remember when it came out, and then the movie was over, there were hundreds of people in the movie there, it was silent. Tears. There was a little bit of weeping. And I said after that to myself, I had brought a group of teenagers there. Afterwards, I said to myself, it's going to be a while again before I watch that movie. Not just because it was so horrific, but I didn't want the shock of what goes on to come upon my face. I didn't want to get desensitized to it. Application, do not get desensitized to what's going on in our world. Every once in a while, we'll have a prayer time and we'll mention the heartache that's going on in Israel, in Ukraine, in other places we don't even know. Don't lose sight of God. Don't be, let it be commonplace in your life. And more importantly, don't let the good news, the gospel, be commonplace in your life. So we see they worship they ascribe worth to this little baby. They travel all these miles, all the resources they had to use to get there. It, in some ways, it seems like a whim. Maybe they get there. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? I've gone hiking with people, and you hike up one mountain. You come back the same way, but the trail doesn't look right. And like halfway down the mountain, you're like, this doesn't look right to me. This doesn't look right to me. Are we going the right way? And you start to go, don't say that to me. You know, you're dry, you know, am I going the wrong way? It just unnerves you. Can you imagine traveling all that way? And every once in a while, I would say, you're doing the right thing. You're saying, you know, on and on and on. But they came and worshiped. How much is it a drive for us to worship corporately? Do we let it inconvenience us? And again, I want to say worship takes place corporately and individually as we obey God, as we spend time with him. But uh, is, is it 
is how we how we uh, do we allow ourselves to be inconvenienced by it or if something is going on do we let that bump it out of our activity they also gave to him and uh, so they made it tangible they wanted their worship in a sense to cost them something they wanted there to be a sacrifice um, this week i had the pleasure of helping walk someone in who walk someone through signing up to give online by getting their routing numbers and their banking numbers and they they want to do it every week and and it was a tithe it, it was not a token amount it was a it was a tithe it, it was a sacrifice and they, they they're just in and they want to give now that's between you and the lord how that all unfolds but if you really are going to worship you want to give to god you want that to be a part of your experience gold we understand about that and the worth of that and how that's gone on over the ages um, the gold they gave wasn't in bullion cubes like that uh, frankincense is an expensive fragrance uh, perfume talk a little bit more about that we go on and myrrh is is a kind of again in this idea of uh prepping a body, also uh, showing honor to it, anointing, and, and all that. I, it's funny, when I saw the picture of this, what did, you, what did you think of? It's actually like a sap. Those, to me, look like apple fritters. I, I kind of ruined the moment, sorry, but I'm always thinking about food. What's wrong with me? All right. So these were things that they gave that were costly. Now, when we think about a few of these characters, I, I think about the the direction that they're traveling. Jesus moves towards us all. We'll talk more about that tonight. All of us. No one's excluded. And he moves towards us by coming from heaven to earth. He moves towards us by becoming fully human while being fully God. Unbelievable. When have you taken a step down to be there for somebody? I mean, a real step down, a real position of servanthood. Jesus, I mean, there's nothing that compares to that. Doesn't the owner of Amazon worth billions and billions and billions of dollars, you know, if he, if he stops doing whatever he's doing and, uh, you know, Delivered newspapers or something. Do they do that anymore? Or you know, you'd be going, wow, why are you doing that? Or work at McDonald's or 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 work, you know, cleaning someplace. We go, how can that be? What a step down. Why would someone like that? Jesus existed before he was born, incarnate. We've talked about that through the years. This idea of every time in the Old Testament we see the angel of the Lord and the people in that are exposed or with him bow and worship and the angel of the lord doesn't say stop doing that that's jesus when they do say stop doing that that's actually an angel angels are not to be worshiped jesus is but jesus moves towards all of us no matter where we are on the planet we'll talk about that a little bit more tonight and we also see the wise men moving towards jesus so the natural question to us is do we move towards jesus do we put things in our life? Do we welcome things? Do we welcome situations, practices, habits, 
that move us towards Jesus, move us towards Jesus' heart? Or do we lean back with our practices? Do we do things that make our heart harder and cooler to Jesus? Or do we do things that warm our souls so we want to hear from him? Do we minimize the noise in life so we're not distracted? Do we decide not to pick up a hobby because it pulls us away from worshiping God, from moving towards him? Do we put some of those things on hold? I remember when we lived in Portland, South Portland, Maine, and uh, we lived right there on the coast, and there were all these islands out there in Casco Bay, and, and oh boy, did I want to get a sea kayak, you know, one of those kinds with a little runner in the back, and oh, did I want one of those, but we were just starting a family, we had three little girls, and I could have swung it, and I had buddies that were doing it all the time, they didn't have the same responsibilities that I had, but I realized that would take me away from my family, so I sacrificed, oh, I didn't get a kayak. I feel sad about that now. Sorry. Now I wouldn't want a kayak. But anyway, because I knew it would take me away from my family. What habits and things take you away from Jesus, move you in another direction? There's no neutral ground. There's no pause. You're either moving towards or you're moving away. And so the wise men pretty clearly moved towards Jesus. It'd be nice, it would be wonderful if we could someday bump into the wise men when we're in heaven and see what they did when they got back. I remember the uh, man who was freed from the oppressive captivity of demonic influences in his life and and he wanted to go with Jesus, so he wanted to move towards Jesus. But Jesus said, go back to the ten cities. Go back to those ten Greek cities and be a witness for me. So how did those wise men, did the wise men have that same, let's stay and be with Jesus. Why, let's not go back. You know, all those kinds of thoughts and emotions. But they moved towards Jesus. Are you and I moving? Herod very obviously is moving away from Jesus. Herod wants to silence Jesus. And we go, wow, that is horrendous. He's being used by the evil one. Let the evil one circumvent God's plan. Jesus, speaking of himself, says a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness, until you overflow. This is not speaking of riches. It's speaking of riches of soul. Till you overflow. Overflow and touch other people's lives. And they will either respond like Herod, or they'll respond like the wise men. That's their deal. Are you overflowing? A thief has only one thing in mind, and this is you're either following Christ or you're not following Christ. When it comes to the spiritual life, it's either God or Satan or evil. There's no middle ground. 
And when Jesus says these words, he's referring to the evil one. And Herod takes on that role. He wants to silence Jesus. And so I have to ask myself, where in my life do I have a little bit of Herod in my heart? Where do I silence Jesus? Where do I have a thought that is from him leading in my life? And I squelch it out. Earlier on, we talked about the difference between reason and revelation. I let reason silence Jesus in my life. Those things don't add up. That wouldn't be positive. That wouldn't, that wouldn't put me in a better place. Wait a minute. Revelation says, trust God. Revelation says, sacrifice. Revelation says, move towards me, even though it seems like it's going to cost you. And it may absolutely cost you externally. But it won't cost you internally. Don't silence Jesus. We look at these individuals and we see, in a sense, where their affections are. What is their desire in their heart? Herod set his affections on power so Jesus would disrupt that. If there was a king, Herod wouldn't be king. Herod had power. He had absolute power. And he used it at his whim. He would take somebody out. He would kill someone. He feel comfortable taking out 20 to 30 babies in the Bethlehem area. Can you imagine? Feels comfortable killing off three of his sons. Yikes. He wants power. And he wants that power even after he's dead by setting this thing up that the these 40 individuals that are well-liked, that are influential in Jerusalem and beyond, will, will, will die after he dies. He's, in a sense, reaching out from the grave. He wants absolute power. And again, we say, that is horrible. But how do we deflect Herod with our desire for power? be power that can move an army, but it may be just the power over your own life. Temptation to want to be in control, to do what we want to do. A representative from one of these college Christian groups in a varsity or crew or something like that, I think in our varsity came through, uh, was talking with someone about the truths of Christ and gave them a lot of Old Testament passages, you know, 500, 700 years before Jesus was born and could see the correlation and see how he was going to answer the prophecy. And so he sent this stuff home with this young man and the young man came back and he said, I was very intrigued. This is very interesting. I, I, I love this stuff. And the crew university young adult representative said, so does that mean you want to follow Christ? And he said, absolutely not. You think this could be true? Oh, I think it's true. You want to follow Christ? No, I don't want to follow Christ. Why? Because I have an active sex life, and if I followed Christ, I would have to change that. And I, I said, that is a stark example of Herod in our lives. Our power, our power being used while we can use it to 
trump God's leading in it. God doesn't force himself. He gives us room. He gives us free choice. We love that when it's free choice for us. We hate it when it's free choice for somebody else, especially when their acts affect our life, especially when they have the power to invade Ukraine. We don't like that freedom, but we wouldn't want to lose our freedom. So it's either one way or the other. It's not a two-way street. Even the evil one, when Jesus went into his uh, 40 days of fasting and kind of like kick-starting his relation, or not kick-starting his, his ministry, the devil comes and tempts him. And it's about power. The, the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This was a legitimate demonstration of power. Jesus was hungry. This wasn't going to hurt anybody. Jesus says, no, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the Father. We see this whole idea of power and humanity. Jesus gives his life away. The myrrh uh, demonstrates humanity and those kinds of things. Uh, we don't have time to get into all these details, but the question is, how do you use your power? A few months ago, we talked about having an advantage over somebody else. How do you use your advantage? How do you use your power? These are hard things. Herod, the horrible, not the great. But we've got a little bit of Herod in us because of the days live on the earth. The power, the advantage, the influence the ability to act out my will, I want to do it according to Dave Spencer's will, not according to God's will. Herod set his affections on possessions. His stuff. Today we still like our stuff, don't we? You have some stuff. I have some stuff. We have an extra large garage now for our stuff. If I had them stick plywood above the rafters so I could stick stuff up there. Stuff that my kids are going to have to deal with in 100 years. It's staying up there. Stuff. What is this? Why do they keep this around? Boy, something's been living in here with this. You just throw the whole box away. But there's some good stuff in here. Herod wanted his stuff. Remember when the girls were young? I didn't have to convince them about their stuff. We were cursed in the days with these things called Polly Pockets. They had millions of them. Millions of them. Each of them had their own million. All the outfits. And if one had their Polly Pockets thing, they were, that is mine. These really weren't that big, so they weren't good weapons to hit each other with, but they would use other things to get their poly pocket back. As a parent, the worst thing that could ever happen is for you to step on one of these things in the middle of the night when you were going to check in on them. A shoe would be disastrous, worse than a Lego, I hate to say. Satan tried the same thing on Jesus. The devil said to him, all of this with all its power, authority, and splendor is mine to give to whomever I wish. Just do one thing and you will have it all. Simply bow down to worship me and I, it will be yours 
you will possess everything. And Jesus said, okay, I'll worship you. I want everything. No, he didn't say that. He gave up everything. He left his way of life. Again, I'm thinking about heaven. He had, and he leaves it. Gold symbolizes royalty. So obviously the question is how do we use our stuff, our possessions? Do our possessions possess us or do we possess them? You've heard that kind of thing before. This is a real battle for many of us. Even those who have little amount of stuff still like our stuff. I have a little jewelry box with little treasures on top of my bureau. I've got a little Star Trek thing. I've got some badges. I've got my first aid certificate little cards, my lifeguarding because it makes me go, wow, I used to be a lifeguard. Couldn't do that anymore. All these little things, all these little facts I have up there and and my high school ring, which I had to have, which I never wear anymore. And then one important ring that was my grandfather's. But the rest of it is just stuff. My kids are going to take that box and just throw it away. Get the two rings, but throw the rest of it away. There's necklaces when I used to take the school to wear a necklace in there. You know, as a school guy, you know. And it's going to get thrown all away. Your stuff. How do you use your possessions? Do they use you? Herod was locked in on them. Jesus gave them away. He gave himself away. What do we do? Herod said his affection on his position. The reason he didn't want this Jesus, this king, is because he liked his position. I am king. What I say goes. Devil tempted Jesus with this. Next, the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the highest point of the temple, saying, tempted him there, saying, if you really are the son of God, jump down in front of all the people and watch the angels save you because of your position. You are the son of God. Jesus wouldn't do it. Thankfully, Jesus wouldn't do it. Boy, you're tired, you're hungry. Wouldn't you be tempted to do that a little bit? Let's, let's see what everybody, maybe, maybe there's a crowd down there watching. What's Jesus doing up at the top? You know, ah, see, something happens. I mean, he must be son of God. Wouldn't buy it. Buys that all. Jesus fulfilled his substitutionary purpose. He's going to die on the cross, die for our sins. He was going to be that perfect lamb of God once and for all, once and once and done. And that frankincense represents divinity. And so the takeaway for us is don't get tied up with frankincense and all that stuff. Get tied up with how do you use your position. Shame on us when we get tied up with biblical trivia and not biblical living. I wish I could have come up with a word that began with a C. Just, just the way of Christians. Trivia over living. Let your trivia be expressed in the way you live. Position. All of us have position. All of us have influence. All of us have abilities to exercise some kind of position. Are we using it well? Even stopping at a place and letting someone, you know, holding the door for somebody. 
being a servant, volunteering, you know, doing something when nobody else is watching. Find that person that, that nobody cares about. And I know many of you do this. Use your position to make a difference, to love and live like Jesus. Now, I have down here um, Philippians 2. I encourage you to read that because you see Jesus doing all of this. Because where you and I set our affection affects our direction. It solves our direction problem. When, you're, when your affection is on Jesus, following his way, loving God, loving others, it affects your direction. It affects the way you and I deal with our positions, our power, our possessions. It all comes into focus. Last Christmas, uh, I asked for a set of binoculars so I could look out my back window and see what's going on back there. One time I thought I saw something. I forget what I thought it was, and I zoomed in on it, and it was just a sign. That's all I could see. I thought it was something much more important than that. But uh, when I focused in, I realized what it was. Affection solves direction. Where is your heart? Christ follower? Is it on a cute little Bible story or is it on a story that transforms your life from the inside out because of what Jesus did? Person who's unconvinced, I'm glad you're here. You're taking a step towards Jesus. You may not say it that way, but you're at least saying, what is there to this faith thing? How does that work out? What am I going to do with that? Affection solves direction. May this be a Christmas where we're reminded of the direction of our lives because of the affection where we are placing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your word. We're thankful for the gift. Father, we need help. We are blessed with some power, some possessions, and some positions. Help that Herod in our hearts to be swapped, to be silenced. Let us not silence your work in us and through us. And for the person that has not said yes to you yet, we ask that this might be the Christmas season where all this nice, sweet story stuff actually becomes the reality of their life because they've said yes to you. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name.